Welcome to the Filament Games Podcast, a show dedicated to game-based learning. Here are your hosts, Brandon Pitzer and Dan Norton. Dan Norton's continuing quest for a good mobile game not going well. well In what ways is it not going well? Well, uh, as you can imagine, I try and look for games that have some level of interesting thinking content, right? Games that are worth spending some time sinking into a strategy and getting better at it. But so much of the mobile space is just so focused on feedback, reward, optimization, making things shiny, making open the presence, watch the stars shoot out, you know, the feedback optimization stuff. And that stuff's fine, right? I mean, it's still, it works, it's good, but, you know, it's it's just, it's honestly in some sort of way fatiguing, right? You, I was playing a game where, how'd this go? I received a present that was filled with coins, and those coins were spent on a gumball machine, which then revealed another present. And I opened that present and received a thing I didn't care about. It's mm. like nesting dolls of, yeah. of like, oh, you should feel super good about this. Yeah, it's like because all the... it's filled with a thing. <laughs> it's like behavioral psychology products, basically. Yeah, yeah. It was like it's Christmas, so you get presents, and inside a present is Christmas. <laughs> and then, but in, in the middle was a turd, which was unfortunate, right? It's like you, yeah, it wasn't a loop. It did have a finale, and the finale was like, oh, I don't want that at all. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it's tough. It's tough to find great mobile games. Uh, I was playing a game that's out pretty recent, uh, Five Card, which I think has the potential to be a really enjoyable game, but it, it it's uh, it's a little pre-polished, I think, at this point. It's a, it's a roguelike dungeon-crawling game. You assemble a party of adventurers, um, and your actions and abilities you take are through selecting cards, and those cards are based on the class you pick there is no like assembly of decks for those classes or or even progression of the characters themselves they just do what they do and they have health that goes up and down um i don't know i feel like it could be good it had some bugs uh it has some strategic things that make a little bit more chaotic than i'd like and i feel like lots of people have you know there's a range of opinions about how brutal a roguelike should be you know, it's, it's yeah. you know, uh, whether or not winning is some kind of shoot the moon miracle circumstance right. combined with, you know, cutthroat perfect play. But it just felt like there's a lot of churn, a lot of chaos in it. And uh, it felt hard. Even when you're playing well, it didn't feel like you were a powerful group. It just felt like you were able to, you were just spending all of your time and effort on staving off doom. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I had uh, I had looked at that game um I really like the aesthetic of it. Yeah, is it is cool? That, is that kind of what drew you into it? Yeah, and and uh, the developer whose name escapes me has made many well received games over the years. Here we go. It's uh, it's Rocket Cat. Rocket Cat. Yes, yeah. I certainly wouldn't say it's like not worth playing. It's like don't play this. I think oh, it, they made Punch it, Quest. Right. Yeah, they made a lot of things. I so that. Uh, it's worth playing. I just think it's uh, for me. It wasn't like a. It didn't hit home as like this is a strategy space I'm real interested in spending that much more time in. I don't know. I think there's just like a shorter fuse on even developer expectations for what a player is hoping to get out of a game. Like 
I'm happy to spend 10, 15 hours on a game if it's there. But I think in mobile, it's like, can we get 10 or 15 minutes out of you? Right. And maybe a dollar? Mm-hmm. Right? That would be great. <laughs> you know, so I don't know. It's tough. Maybe I'm cranky. Maybe I'm an old man. But uh, I have a hard time finding new great stuff in the mobile space. Well, uh, so let's let's talk about Armello then. What, sure. What did you not did you like or not like about that one? Yeah, Armello is a new game on Steam. It's a uh, multiplayer, or you can play against AI, uh, basically digital board game. And it has a lot of things that are totally worth noting are awesome. It's beautiful. Uh, the art style and the board and uh, just... It's just gorgeous. It's dripping with great art, beautiful animal characters. There's a very interesting and rich class system of choosing what type of adventure you're going to be. The whole game takes place in a kingdom where the king is being driven mad by a disease called the rot, and the whole game is sort of falling apart and things are getting worse, and you're ultimately trying to rule the kingdom uh, as your method of winning. You can do that by multiple strategies, you can do things like if you kill the king yourself, you win. If you, uh, if the king just dies from the disease or dies from another player who also dies, uh, and if you had the most prestige, you'd win that way. Right? So there's multiple routes to victory. Okay. So it had a lot of great things going for it. It's a little bit, when you, even when you play new physical board games, right? there's almost always the first playthrough is pretty awful because you're like, how does this work? And the game's like, oh, well, it works in this way that, by the way, you're terrible at it, and now you're losing. <laughs> I'll explain more about why you're losing soon, but just just trust me, you're losing. Right, right. So I, I gave it a I gave it a whirl a couple times through. I think ultimately I did win a game, but ultimately I wasn't satisfied because there is so much that happens between your turn and then the next time you get a turn. Uh, so many things shift from every player taking actions, making decisions, including the king and his guards and the dragons on the board. Like, everything is different. So it's kind of like Flux, that card game where you can lay down cards that change the rules. If you play that game with, like, eight people, there's, like, no way to win because, like, whatever strategy you're attempting to lay down on your turn is entirely obliterated by the time it comes, by the time it comes back to you. So yeah. there's, like, no point in ever trying to make any effort. And... I got. I, I wasn't that bad in in uh, Armello by any means, but I definitely did get a sensation of being like, it's really hard to make any decision that's good because you're going to get halfway to that goal and the odds of that goal actually remaining salient by the next time you play again is pretty low. So is it more like it's not balanced correctly or is it kind well, of like a rate of play issue where it's not properly streamlined and you're like watching too many animations and sitting too through too much passive content? Oh uh, no, there's actually a nice feature where you can clip off the AI's combats and things. So it can move along at a good clip. It's just that let's say you're trying to get to a dungeon to go fulfill your quest. That's your job. And it's like six squares away and you can move three squares. So you like move three squares, maybe a dragon appears, kills you, and you start over on their side of the map. And like there was no way to plan for that dragon otherwise other than being like, well, it's conceivable a dragon would appear in one of these squares, but you can't like plan for it. So it's just like, yeah, your agency gets taken away. And I think, you know, just from a like a pure design standpoint, chaos is fine, but I think chaos is better in a game when it's matched with equally chaotic empowerment 
like if everyone's able to make things sort of go nuts that's kind of fun like that's one of the things that draws me to uh magic's the gatherings commander version of play like everyone's doing hugely reckless things all the time <laughs> and you just sort of like are along for the ride but in this game it's like you're like i'm a modest agent attempting to get a modest goal done mm-hmm. and i'm just rocked by the events around me that are the accumulation of everyone else's decisions and the game's random events so it was hard to feel good i won like i said but i won via the prestige metric which was the make sure no one kills the king so I was like, well, it's really hard to do anything, but I do have enough ability to ruin anyone else also doing anything. So that's where I spent all my time. I like killed people for who were trying to get something done and dropped nasty things on the places they're trying to go. And I didn't really benefit myself ever. I just ruined whoever I was hope possibly going to get to the top. And then ultimately I won that way. And that was like... Hmm. I don't want to do that. So you're just in the position of being a saboteur and it's like, yeah. it sounds like it's like entirely reactive. Yeah. And it was, yeah, it wasn't, it didn't feel good to win that way. I wasn't right. like, I didn't feel like a winner. I felt like I had just sort of prevented anyone else from winning long enough that it defaulted to me. Mm. <laughs> but based on how the game unfolded, that was the most reasonable strategy to me. Mm. So I don't know. Obviously I haven't played it that much. I could be bad at it. That's always a thing, right? It's true. It's always easy to complain about a thing when you don't really understand the metrics. Maybe maybe there's much more room for mid-maxing the experience. It's, it is a shame. And I do want to say, too, like I said, it's certainly certainly a game worth playing. I don't think it's like, don't play this. Um, could be more fun with all live opponents in like a LAN setup. I don't think it'll be more fun over networked multiplayer because then the turns will be full length, but there's not even anyone to talk to about it. Mm -hmm. So it would just feel like super slow computer multiplayer. So I don't know. Well, so that brings us to an interesting second topic that we had for today, which is communication in games. Oh, yeah. Uh, nice, clean segue, right? Very nice. Dan Norton and I played some some Hearthstone over the weekend. Mm-hmm. There's a Tavern Brawl, which is a weekly event. I believe it runs from noon on Wednesday until Sunday evening. And it's for people who have gotten their decks, at least one of their decks, up to level 20. Mm-hmm. And it's random. Uh, it's a different event every week. And last week it was the battle against the Mechazoid. Yes. I think I'm saying that correctly. Uh, sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a malicious robotic gnome. Yes. Uh, we can just leave it at that. And we were clobbered. Yes. For about, I'd say, an hour and a half straight. Just yep, I think so. Repeatedly trounced by, yep. this, by this gnome. And there were parts of it that I felt could have been, like, I feel like we could have won if we had had better means of communication if we had been sitting in the same room as opposed to our respective living rooms. Absolutely. And if there is a more immediate way to actually talk about what's happening in the game, because with Hearthstone, the only way, well, we could chat because we're on each other's friends lists, Mm -hmm. but you can't actually chat with like a random person who you just draw when you go into like the queue for for joining a game. Mm -hmm. They limit you to six emotes. I think it's like Greetings, thanks, threaten, oops, mm-hmm. well played. Well played. 
and one other sorry yeah, yeah those are the other those are the emotes that you're that you're limited to and you don't even have to listen to those you can actually squelch those by tapping on the other player's avatar and silencing them and then mm-hmm. you can't even tell what their six emotion emotes are going to be mm-hmm so I felt that if we had had some more immediate form of communication where it didn't require us to like jump out a layer into the battle.net chat platform so sure. we could kind of trade strategies in a frantic, you know, whatever it is, 30 seconds that you have to play your hand right. before it lapses to the other person's turn. So, yeah, I'd, I felt like it was kind of limited by that. Absolutely. Well, I think, you know, Hearthstone's constrained communication is definitely... On purpose. Yes. Uh, and it's so that you don't get a stream of profanities <laughs> right? Uh, and personal insults and threats whenever you play a game of little cards that hit each other in the face. Right? Mm-hmm. So, so, I mean, it is sad, but it is true that it's pretty necessary to have some caps on communication if, if you're not prepared for a pretty high level of offensive obscenity. Right. What I think is sort of funny about Inside Hearthstone there are still sort of communally understood ways to be rude anyway. Yep. <laughs> and then not only that, but there's even like a second layer uh, where like, so when I, when I start a match, I generally will say greetings. Right. And I read a thread uh, about Hearthstone in which someone was complaining about all these rude people who are sarcastically saying hello at the beginning of the matches. <laughs> and I was like, that's, 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 not sarcastic. I'm saying hi, <laughs> right. but that's that's also considered bad manners. BMing, right? Like, how dare you say hello? The lack of actual communication has led to some weird conduits for both people. You know, spamming stuff is considered you know often rude. And, yep. You know, when you're designing rules for a game and social games, you are controlling all aspects of the game, mm-hmm. including communication. So, yep. Blizzard made some smart decisions on how that works yeah i think the bottom line is players are always going to be extremely creative about how they decide to communicate for Mm -hmm. for better or for worse i think communication restraints just create kind of an emergent culture of communication that's unique to each game absolutely so that's that's definitely what we see in hearthstone right Let's talk about games and engagement. Games and engagement. Let's talk oh, about sure, that. yeah. Because so you have some controversial things to say about that. Yeah, I think in the, the last couple of weeks, I've had I found myself on the same rant a couple of different times. When people talk about games and learning uh, as a thing that they're excited about, first and foremost, the spot it, often it comes out even as a premise that's like without saying. Like sometimes it doesn't even get brought up. But the primary drive for when people think about why to put games in a learning environment is engagement, right? Like why use games. You know, because they are fun, mm-hmm. right? That's that's sort of a why is water wet kind of premise, right? And that's always used uh, as the first step for like why would you want to use a learning game? And you know, it's true. You know, a game is fun, and in the very serious environments of formal education, you know, a, something fun is like an oasis. It can re-energize students. You know. It has a bunch of great benefits. So I'm not trying to say that um, that it's a lie or that it's bad. Right. But I was saying it's worth sort of talking a little bit about there are a lot of things that are fun that you can do in a classroom, right? You can have workshops. You can have field trips. You can watch a movie. You can have an ice cream party. You know, there's lots of 
there's lots of variations of fun that are used to break up uh, some serious time in schools. And those are, those they all all have that same value. So kind of the next question is like, well, then why games? You know, if they're harder to arrange than an ice cream party, then why do games? (laughs) Yes. We should probably run a few ice cream parties here at Filament to test this theory. But uh, not opposed to that. Yeah. All right. But there are other benefits of games as a form of media that are why this is sort of worth doing beyond just kids get connected and are engaged. Um, yeah. And, you know, the thing is, is that we know that, again, we know that games are engaging. We know that, especially at the administrative level, schools are looking for engagement, particularly when they think about education technology, which games, that's what they are. They're, mm-hmm. Especially when we're, I mean, when we're talking about learning games, we're talking about educational technology. Mm-hmm. You know, the research is pretty strong in terms of engaging that that lower half of, of the student body in terms of achievement outcomes, right? It's students who are struggling with more traditional teaching methods tend to excel with a game more so than students that are excelling in either case. Mm -hmm. But as you're going to say, basically games have a unique strength to them that engagement, again, is it's, it's, that's shared across a lot of different things. Yeah. That's the thing, right? It's it's, so what are those unique things one might ask? Yeah. Rhetorically, yeah, and if any of uh, listeners out there know, we'd love to. No, I, yeah, no. It turns out I have an opinion on that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so games are great at a bunch of things that actually make them, aside from fun, really important as a learning tool. I think the first is that a game creates a space where learners have agency with content. Right. It's not just that you're learning a thing that may be tested later, but a game gives a space where that information has a purpose. It's empowering. Uh, it has rewards, scaffolding and feedback around it. it. It creates a point to doing it. Right. Like the game creates a space that justifies the need to know a thing and use it. Right. So sometimes I talk about it like you're you're weaponizing information. Right. You're not. It's not just. Mm things to remember and write down later, but you're instead given a space where there's a problem and you need to solve it. And it turns out that the content is, is are the tools in your toolbox and you feel good actually applying them and saving the day with them. So it actually tucks information in your head in, in such a way that you're like, oh yeah, this is information I would use to solve a problem and do something good with. So that's a huge piece that games offer. Yeah, and I think having read uh, James Paul G's book, What Video Games Have to Teach Us About Learning and Literacy, he makes the analogy that the difference between a textbook and a game, kind of in the way that you're saying it, is is like reading the rules of basketball versus right. going and playing a game of basketball. Absolutely. You're going to understand those rules much more intrinsically if you actually go to play the game if you just read it, it's actually abstract and non uh, nonsensical in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. Absolutely. And that's actually a really nice analogy, too, for the other side on assessment, right? Like, if you wanted to know if someone was good at basketball, would you watch them play basketball or have them take a written test about basketball? Right. What, and would that test be composed of, like, what was rule six? Yeah. You're know, like I. I don't. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's a. Yeah. It's a really good point. We need like a catchy acronym for that book. You know what video games have to teach us about learning and literacy. Wo- yeah. I don't know. We're going to keep it, citing wo- it. Wo- 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 
Wavga. Lala. Wavga Tol. I think that's it. Wahovga Talabolo. I think we nailed it. All right, sweet. Yeah, so I totally recommend reading Wahovga Talabolo. It's a fantastic book by James Paul G. It's a page turner. Yeah, it's a page turner. Mm -hmm. Uh, We'll double check that uh, acronym later to see if we missed a key word. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so another thing, also G-ish in nature, is... uh, identity right like games can sort of ask you to become somebody right they have you step into a role right you can you can announce to someone that they are now apocalypse survivor or a bartender or or an an animal in a whimsical kingdom aspiring to yes or yes you're a stoat (laughs) attempting to assassinate an evil king right that's and the, the the crazy thing about games that players are like okay yeah. Right. Yeah. You're right. I am a stoke. Yeah. There's not a lot of pushback on when you're entering a play space about the identity you're asked to inherit. I mean, ultimately, a player can reject a game, be like, I'm not interested in this. But usually that's not the point where they say, no, thank you. Right. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's usually somewhere inside that whether or not they find a satisfying sense of agency, empowerment and feedback inside that identity. Right. You know, and I think that's why you get. Uh, games that are about like being a cook or a lawyer and uh, amateur surgeon you know like games like that that you might be like well who would really want to do that just on the premise but it's like no but like when you're in the role it's interesting there's good feedback it's empowering or it's and it's funny etc so right so like those identities are really good right and you know especially these days with you know the kids are into the stem brandon yeah they're stemming all over the place. <laughs> they love that stem. Right. All the kids are talking yeah, about it. Yeah, the kids are talking about it. It's the stem and the hula hoops and the fax machines. You know, the kids. The sock hops. Yeah. <laughs> and so forth. <laughs> they're, they're doing the stem at the sock hops. It's kooky. Um, you know, but when you're talking about stem content, uh, so much of it is about thinking about science and engineering principles from uh, an identity being like this is engineering as a way of thinking about things from a role and like the professions that get tied to those practices are such a big part of it like why why are these things important to know and like who are the types of people you can become with this content yep right so those are like natural fits with uh with a lot of content it's not just stem it's just about I think just about anything someone wants to know, they want to know whether or not it can fulfill some part of their identity they value, right? You want to be, almost everyone wants to be a little bit better at being who they are. If you are bored or not interested in learning something, it's usually because you're like, I don't see how this connects to me. Right. But games can do this like cheat. They got this like workaround. They're like, by the way, you're not you. Mm-hmm. You are you are an ocean scientist today. And then people are like, oh, well, all right. I guess I like data and fish population surveys that's my thing now yeah just kind of digging through some some shark vomit yeah right that's that's my bag man that's what i'm gonna do and so that's a a powerful thing sort of the last thing i'll touch on is systems right so games are made out of rules and you have to inhabit and understand those rules i mean like the basketball analogy you just Mm -hmm. made right there's one thing to be like aha I have memorized the. I don't know how many how many rules are in the actual NBA master rule book. I don't. I don't, know what, I don't think we're the people to ask about yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> let's let's assume there's six rules. <laughs> <laughs> the six tenets of basketball. The six tenets of basketball, as understood by us. There's double dribble. I know that's not good. Yep. 
Um, you don't want to travel. No traveling. No traveling. Oh, and we're burning through these rules. <laughs> There's only one ball at a time. Yep. Yeah. If you try and bring another ball onto the field, I'm pretty sure. To... Oh, wait. It's a court. It's not a field. Right. Yeah. That, that's yeah. another rule, I guess. Yeah, there's courts. Yeah, and then, <laughs> no fields. And then sometimes the whistling means you start, but then other times it means you stop. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there's clearly easily eight rules to basketball, so maybe my original estimate is off. Um, but anyway, let's say uh, you want to know those rules. Just memorizing them as a flat list is a pretty lousy way to do it. Maybe you'll think of like a mnemonic device to like get through them or a sing yourself a song, et cetera. But like there's no, you know, it's just flat. But if you actually were playing a video game about basketball, you'd actually see those rules like click together like, mm-hmm. and actually see them function as a system. I don't know. This may surprise you, Brandon, but I didn't grow up with a lot of sports knowledge uh, in my in my family. It wasn't really a big emphasis. Yeah. I, I mean, I can believe it. <laughs> <laughs> to an extent. Oh, Josh just sent me the link to the NBA rule book if we really want to dive Oh, in. sure. How many rules we got? Ooh, that's a really long... Oh, my goodness. This is a very long PDF with now, diagrams are, and everything. Are they numbered or are they just like... It's in alphabetical order. Oh. Yeah. So there's only 26 rules. Only 20. Huh. <laughs> there are... Rule Z. Yes, there are 60 pages... Wow. Of this. There are there are comments about whether or not the shirts should be tucked. Mm. Wow, it goes right down to the attire. Well, should they? I think the answer is yes. I'm gonna look at Josh. Do shirts have to be tucked in? Yes, they do. Okay. Yes. My shirt's tucked today. I just wanna say everyone should know that I'm ready to play. <laughs> I've got a tucked in shirt. You're ready to get out on the basketball field. I'm ready to get out on when the, the whistles. <laughs> gonna bring gonna bring three basketballs out there. <laughs> Show them what for. <laughs> you know, I thought there should be another ring beyond three points. I have like a five point, you know, for those like crazy hurdles. I Did you? Know. So shattering backboards, that's a technical foul, but it's not unsportsmanlike. Interesting. Yeah. Well, how much is shattering a backboard done on purpose? And how much is it just that your your dunk was too sick nasty? <laughs> <laughs> that's a quality that a dunk can have, right? Oh, that is actually rule 1B here. Yeah. It says it's unsportsmanlike if it's not sick and nasty. <laughs> and or nasty. <laughs> that that dunk was simply sick, so the penalty's lesser. Okay, anyway, <laughs> systems. That's what we were talking about. Yeah, anyways, systems. Yeah, so yeah, so games can be made out of rules, much like basketball with all of its rules. And uh, if you want someone to understand those rules, not just as a list, but as a context, right? So when a game can have things like plant anatomy and function or ecology or predator-prey relationships, et cetera, like anything that has some rules that actually work together in context can be laid out inside a game as a thing that you experience. And that's pretty unique to games, right? That's 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 another thing that there aren't that many forms of media that actually show you a thing in motion uh, and let you experiment with how it might work or might not work. How right. does it break? Uh, how do you fix it, et cetera? And, you know, it, it's that component that games can include those simulation engines. That's a really powerful piece. And so those are all things, right? Those are special ways to get into learning that go deeper than other forms of media. You can have people watch a movie and they can be affected by characters and have empathy, but it's hard to make you have a first-person experience, you know, get things like frustration or victory, fear, 
Uh, I mean, there's all sorts, all sorts set of emotions and experiences that you can attach with games that are just inaccessible through other forms of media. Yeah. We can get fear in movies, obviously. You can scare the pants off someone with a movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of it. There's, so there's just lots of unique aspects of games beyond just, oh boy, this will be fun. Right. And that's not to say that, yeah, I, I'm not anti-fun. It's just saying that, you know, that is just one of the many features that a game can actually bring to a learning environment that should be considered. Thanks for listening to the Film and Games Podcast. If you'd like to hear more about games, game-based learning, and well-informed, accurate observations about sports and such, subscribe today on Stitcher or iTunes. 